Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and we have a special episode today with my friend Katie Walker. We're on uh, episode 88. Katie, thank you so much for coming and talking with me. Uh, thank you, Clint. I'm absolutely. super excited. I'm glad. So uh, for y'all don't know, Katie Walker, she lives in Treeport. So tell us a little bit about who you are, um, what you do, and what brings you here today. Yes. I mean, I've grown up here in Bossier, right. went to Airline High School. And so I live here. My family's here. I married. My husband was a Major League Baseball player. We traveled, lived away for a decade, and said, had kids and we said man we need our parents we need some help we want to get back and so we came home and we've made a life here that's awesome yeah and so um so now my children are in school i have two bigs and two littles two are i call them the bigs and littles um one's about to graduate college another in college and then another in high school and one in middle school so Mm, you're running the gamut that's wild yes and um my side gig my side hustle is uh, I do acting and writing, and um, my real, real hustle is I'm a revivalist. I love Jesus, so anytime we start bringing in the Word and Jesus, uh, fire just starts going off inside of me. So That's right. So you might hear some of that. Let's do it. That's good. <laughs> Same here. I think we met um, back in the day whenever you were doing eight days, and I was helping with purchase. And that was, how long ago was that now? That was 2013. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, so tell people a little bit about eight days and kind of that, that how that unfolded or what that is. And Yes, so when I, when I got back here and um, decided to pursue acting, one of my auditions was for eight days. And it was to play the mother of a daughter who gets trafficked for eight days. Mm. And so after all the audition process, um, I won the role of the mother, and so we. F- the film follows the victim in trafficking, 
and and the mom trying in the family trying to to find her but what was interesting is at this time at 2013 all we really knew about trafficking was uh taken the movie mm, taken right. that's Mason, what yeah. was in the yeah um and so we didn't have a grasp on what real people were experiencing what was really happening and to my shock and horror i found out that it was here it was in my city mm-hmm. in my schools and so we've been on a campaign ever since because yeah. it's after god's heart absolutely yeah yeah and so out of eight days and out of acting kind of what was the trajectory what, what did you start doing after that and how did you meet philippa and start all that so i'm saying that name right Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, Philippa wrote Eight Days. Right. She's a writer by nature, mm-hmm. and she had had stories of real life stories of people in trafficking. And she said, "I've got to do something." But what I do is I write scripts, and and my husband and we do films. And so they wanted to show a picture of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's how I met her. And then we traveled with Eight Days. Eight Days started getting publicity, um, more through government and schools and colleges. And so we ended up going to South Africa, the Dominican Republic. It shut down 52 standing 50-year-old brothels after we came. It just wow. uproared in the Dominican. And, um, and it was amazing. So meeting her, what would happen is we would have panels. We would meet with people that were fighting trafficking when we would screen the film and have panels of discussion. What can we do in this particular city? Because people were commissioned to, you can do something. Right. Even if you're a hairdresser, you can do something. We need an army and everyone has to be hands-on. And, um, and through that, because I played the mother, I would have the young ones mm-hmm. come up to me. And one of the biggest moves was I had a, we screened here in Shreveport. Yeah, I remember that. And, and I had a 15-year-old brown-eyed girl come up and said, I never knew what was happening to me was trafficking within my family. Mm-hmm. We would traffic within the family members. And, and I knew right then we've got to start with something like the root. What was the root? So Philip and I began writing on the identity of who you are in Christ, who these girls are, because we were like, if you know your identity, we can at least try to prevent. So the, and so we wrote a woman's devotional for all ages on who you are in Christ, who God says you are. Even if you don't feel this way, this is who you are. Make these choices. And then we just started writing more books and more books. What was that first one? Woman of Influence, that's and right. it's called yeah, Arise yeah. now. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember seeing all that stuff and watching you guys do it, and and it was paralleled with I, I started helping with the hub. Yes. And then Cassie launched, launched, you know, purchased, and then we started. I started writing and going, okay, how do we, how do we integrate trauma therapy and recovery and all of this thing into this program? And um, and so that was an interesting. You journey. actually brought a big piece of the puzzle, which was. Um, teaching the Johns, yeah. speaking life into the ones that were buying because we were fighting the opposite. And you run into parents, obviously, and us who were like, nah, you know, to those that are buying the young ones. But then we never took the minute to be compassionate about why are they buying? Yeah, because Jocko was in, uh, and I think I came to your house, yeah. right? And we sat down and just kind of talked through some of yes. that stuff and, and picked my brain on like sex addiction, sexual trauma, and pornography, and, and how that was playing into the, the John School stuff. And yeah, so Cassie and I wrote that curriculum, and she had all this amazing stuff about 
prostitution and trafficking. And, and I came in with the, well, this is what it looks like for men who get into this. And that's, that's been a huge discussion. And we were talking about right before, and that's what led to this, you know, this book I'm writing and, and I'm done with now. We're just editing it, but it was going, okay, how did you have this? We're really good at looking at how does a woman become a victim and how does someone get a child get trafficked and all these kind of things. But we've done a really bad job of looking at how does somebody become a pimp or a trafficker? How does somebody become a person who would buy a woman? And, and so I think, you know, my book is talking about the childhood neglect and sexual neglect and trauma that we all go through right. when our parents don't educate us and, and teach us body safety and, and how that is such a, um, a lack of discipleship, especially within the church, that's leading to victims who then right. become victimizers and just all of this mess. And yeah, obviously it's a lot more nuanced and it would take an hour and a half to dial sure. into it. But, but I appreciate you saying that because that is, it's all of us working together to try to, you know, help each other and, and just fine tune this thing. Right. That's a mess. Sound the whistle. Yeah. Cause people don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. Very, very. In uh in one of the chapters, I was just like editing last night and I was given an example of, um, how does a person become a child molester? And so I'm breaking down like a couple of scenarios in which that happens. And as I'm writing, I'm thinking, oh, people aren't even going to want to read this part. Right. Because we don't even want to think about that this happens, that this happens, that there's any empathy or compassion that we could even give to a person that would do that. But when you see their story and you see that they were a victim yes. and along the way, when were they ever going to ask for help? You know, is it at 12 or 13 when they find themselves being a little attracted to younger people? Is it at 18 when they find themselves looking at child porn? Is yes. it at 23 when they're going, oh, I'm attracted? To, like, when would they have asked for help and not be arrested or treated like a monster? Right, because shame keeps you silent. Yeah, and again, that doesn't mean they don't need consequences and there doesn't need to be you know right. these things. But anyway, you and I, we have to have these robust conversations that are difficult. I know that I don't love them. I know they're messy because <laughs> you know, you get people's responses, right? right? I mean, right. people are not like, Oh, tell me more, Katie. No, yeah. they usually want to run. That's why when I would speak, because my mine was more at the preventive stage, mm -hmm. you know, playing the actor, teaching and getting the young ones. I would always like catch them when I was doing carpool, like to go to soccer practice right. and they couldn't get out of the car. And I'd be like, Hey, let's, let's talk about, um, are you guys watching any porn? And I mean, boys would just be like dying. And then, you know, my son would not be happy with me and all that. But I would be like, no, listen, we have to talk about it just in case. And and this is this was my end. I played this film. This is what happened. So right. I just da, 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 yeah, da, da, da. like I'm going to be cool about it. But this is I've got to be real. Because if I'm going to be talking to other cities and other schools, I have to make sure that I'm also living that here as well. Yeah, we have to be authentic. You know, when you're out there teaching things, but you're not practicing it in your own. Right. Yeah. That was actually the most uncomfortable is at home. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, none of this is comfortable. Right. And that goes back to right. because we never talked about it. Right. Because no one made it comfortable for us. And so that's the goal, I hope, with all these conversations is that people um, will see that their kids will be the ones that are our hope, that they'll be comfortable. They'll It'll be commonplace for them to mm -hmm. protect their children and talk about these things. And um, and then we can change generations to come. That's right. So you wrote that with her. Yes. You guys kind of, you, you've got a podcast, you've got a bunch of things that you're, you guys are doing. Tell me a little bit about all, all those things. Yes. So we have a, a, what happened was we, we did arise 
30-day devotional speaking into your identity, teaching on your identity. And then we decided, well, we want to go live on our Facebook. Mm-hmm. It was just as simple as that to to talk to people about their identity and talk about the things that were going. So we just started a live show right. on Facebook and you could join that we made a podcast so that you could listen to it later. And and more books would be birthed because we realized that we were storytellers mm-hmm. and you can learn a lot through story. And so our second book, we created a story about becoming a hero, being the light in somebody's darkness, because we all need that hero and somebody's praying for that hero mm-hmm. and you get to, there, it's a process. You're not born a hero, you become one. Right. And so we the hero's cre- journey. Yes. Yeah. So we created a story and, and the girl is a heroine because you know, we're girls Yeah. and every, but it could be male and female any, right. But, um, and we need them, we need them everywhere. But, so it's her process in a, in a fantasy world of becoming, of what she faces to become the light in the dark. And we loosely followed uh, Song of Solomon in mm-hmm. the Bible. And it's the journey, Song of Solomon is the journey. I grew up thinking it was uh, um, the doc, who was the, the sex doctor? It was a lady. The oh, the 80s. older lady? Yes. Yeah, yeah. What's I'm, her name? My mind's gone blank. She's ger- I think she has a German name. Dr. Ruth. Dr. Yeah, Ruth. Yeah. It was a Dr. Ruth manual, like, on on sex. Mm-hmm. And after studying it and realizing it's it's the journey, it's the king, it's King Jesus speaking to the Shulamite, which is male and female, is so the king speaking to our heart. And, and that journey of becoming the one who walks with God and brings the light to the darkness. So it's it, you don't see that except in the teaching, mm-hmm. but it's the story of that journey. Yeah, I think that those things are beautiful because the, you know, the hero's journey is something that is is ingrained into most things. And if you mm-hmm. look at any successful film, any successful literature, yeah. it's just mattered throughout it, you know, and yes. it takes that same shape and that same form. So I think it's so cool when theology and scripture have these uh, these age-old things that we we go today we're like oh i wrote star wars look at this cool original thing and it's like right. you're just telling the same story right right yeah, that's awesome so it's really fun um and then you have a new book and then i have a new book this yep. is walking through dark seasons um this was a bur- i am not a na- by nature i want to be careful with my words a writer like it's not an eloquent i don't i this is just straight teaching a revelation that the lord gave me walking through a dark season of life in the trouble you you your thoughts spin and you don't seem to be able to get breakthrough and break out of depression anxiety worry Mm -hmm. um you know marriage trouble whatever life brings you and I said, Lord, I've got to get out of this pit I'm in. I'm not n- by nature a depressed person, but I was walking through a very dark, depressed season, mm. and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm following the Word, but I, I, I'm not getting this victory. What was the cause? And the cause was the root of my thoughts. Yeah. What was the thoughts? So I, so the Lord gave me like just a three-minute, a three R's breakdown on recognizing what you're thinking about, resisting it when it's a lie, and then replacing it. And of course, I replace it with the Word of God and decrees. Mm-hmm. So I have 50 days. So I teach 
that. It's just a quick teaching, and then I have 50 days of the Lord speaking with a replace and then a decree that That's you would cool. declare over yourself. I like that. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's called Exit the Highway of Destru- Destruction, Defeat Deception, and Discover Your Destiny. Yeah, I was like, get off the road. Yeah, that's awesome. So say them again. What are the R's? Um, recognize what you're thinking. Uh-huh. Recognize if it's a lie. Yep. Um, negative thoughts. You Re- know what the root is. That's probably the hardest part is because you've probably thought and stirred on things and made all kinds of highways for a long time on bad thinking mm-hmm. that you don't even recognize. So once you get there, oh, you're going to move. So there, and then you resist it. Like, I'm not going to agree with this thought anymore. This thought is not the truth. It doesn't line up with the word. And then you replace it with a truth from the word. You replace it. Like, for example, if I'm always thinking I'm I'm lonely, I'm alone, right? And then then you think of scenarios. And, of course, life's going to bring you all kinds of examples where you're alone, Mm -hmm. you know, and down and depressed. Well, I recognize, you know, I'm alone, and all this does is makes me feel bad and depressed and sad and hopeless. Yep. That's not from God because God is love and life and um, breakthrough and freedom, right? Yeah. So, and you teach that and you're like, well, how do I get there? Because that's not where I am. Mm-hmm. So, so I recognize that's not from the word. So I'm going to resist it. It says to cast down your imaginations, your thoughts, those mm-hmm. affections that aren't clean and clear, yeah, reject right? Reject it outright. Yep. Reject it. Like I would even like take it right here and I'd like throw it down <clears throat> yeah. and I might have to do it a thousand times a day. Like, okay, so I'm throwing down the thought of I'm lonely, and then I'm going to replace it with, because the word says, you never leave or forsake me. Mm -hmm. You never do. So I cannot be alone. So then I'm declaring, that's right. I'm not alone because you say you never leave me. Even though my feeling is agreeing with, like, I, I feel like I'm alone. Yeah, and sometimes even your experience. And the experience has shown it. But the truth is... The truth is I'm not alone because the word says this. So this is a fact that I'm dealing with, uh, Mm -hmm. the feel, the experience. But the truth is this. And so which which one am I going to agree with? That's great. Yeah, my my listeners, if you're out there listening, you know that this is a theme in our conversations all the time on the podcast. So what we say from a trauma theological perspective is our beliefs shape our thoughts and feelings which shape our actions. Right. Well, that that sounds really smart. That's a good one. I like this. I mean, it's so. <laughs> what 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 the world has caught us up in is we don't stop and ask ourselves what we actually believe. So the same thing with what you just mm-hmm. said. Recognizing what I believe. If we believe this room was going to catch on fire, would we be sitting here? Now, if we thought that it was going to catch on fire, we may. Mm-hmm. Right. If if we thought or felt like, oh, maybe this will. Maybe we're living in fear. Maybe we're like worried that the the whole thing's going to collapse. Like we may still sit here. Right. But if we believe that it's going to catch on fire, you won't catch us sitting here. And so I think a lot of people um, don't recognize even the difference between what am I, what do I actually believe about God, myself, and other people, and then what do I just feel about it? Right. And our world has not slowed down or taught us to go deeper into you know, our beliefs and even psychology. I mean, one of the pushbacks I have for psychology is that it's very behavior focused. And then the church is very behavior focused sometimes. And it's like, Jesus came to say, listen, of course I don't want you to do sinful, broken things, but I'm going to die to pay for those things anyway, because you can't overcome them. I care more about your heart. I care way more about what you believe about who I say you are 
than anything else. Come on. And all of these behaviors that we see in psychology, porn addiction, trafficking, abuse, alcoholism, they're all fl- coming from a person who woke up that morning and went, I don't think God loves me and I don't feel safe in his care. And so I need to do something with that pain. Right. So it's going to, if you don't stop and, and recognize, recognize the, the, oh gosh, my wife didn't hug me this morning and I'm going to start thinking that means she doesn't love me and that means she doesn't respect me. And I don't reject that and say, and then go, what's true? Right? right. My wife actually does love me. So what else could be going on in my wife's life right. where she's not acting like who she thinks I am? But our trauma makes us respond in fight or flight all the time. And so we're like, we don't even recognize mm-hmm. our thought pro- patterns and processes. And so then we have no ability to capture those thoughts. So I think it's right. I mean, yes, I, you know, the Lord gave me a picture, you know, how sometimes like if you're in prayer and I just had this picture when I was writing this because as a woman, and I'm sure men do this too, but we operate a lot out of our feelings. Mm-hmm. Like I feel this way, you know, and it's like, that's just kind of how we operate. And he was like, your soul, which is your mind, your will, affections, imaginations, that mm-hmm. type of thing is like the size of a sumo wrestler. Okay, think about like how fed it is. Yeah. It is so fat. It is like strong. It is huge. And so you behave out of this because it's so big. But you have to start s- starving this sumo wrestler to get smaller and smaller and be subdued to the spirit, which is life, which mm-hmm. is resurrection, which is victory, which is breakthrough, right? So this is Jesus. When you've asked Jesus in your heart, then you have him living inside of you. And so if we are subdued to that spirit instead of feeding the sumo wrestler we're gonna have the victory yeah you know that's great you know the scripture says the holy spirit comes to convict us of our sin and i think one of the misunderstandings of that in theology that leads to a lot of behavior mess is that what we hear is the 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 holy spirit comes to remind us that our behaviors are bad Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, my, the Holy Spirit comes to remind me that if I drank too much last night, that that wasn't a good behavior. That's not what the theology is. The theology is the Holy Spirit comes to convince you. The conviction is a convincing of that Jesus already paid for that. Right. And so you're not that person. Your identity is not in that you drank too much. Right. Your identity is in who Christ says you are. Right. And I think a lot of times when I work with people, it's like. I'll ask them, I was at a talk this weekend and I was asking them like, if God's looking at you, what do you think he thinks? You know, and most people will say, I think he's pretty disappointed. You know, I think he's angry. I think he's frustrated. I think he's face palming and going, come on, Clint. Yeah. You know, you know not to do this. Why are you doing it? And I'm going to be real. I hear that a ton. And that's what we make our, our choices off of because of that thought pattern. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, that's because you're not in the word Mm -hmm. the word will teach you what he really feels and how he really the truth you know and i try and i say that in love i say it because it's because the word is life and breath to our flesh and our and our bones and one of the practices that i've i've done is i was like listen give scripture on what god who god says you are right your identity now listen in your own time and i'm usually talking to females like go ask god what song does he sing over you Mm -hmm. just like, let's just walk to the mailbox, ask him, are you singing a song over me? What song? I did this once, right? So I'm walking and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to be all spiritual. I'm going to ask the Lord, <laughs> what song is he singing over me? 
And I hear Aerosmith. Now this is gonna this is gonna date me my age, yeah. but I hear Aerosmith. You know the guy with the big mouth, oh, yeah. and he's singing. Um, it's that song from Armageddon. He's like, I don't want to don't miss close a your thing. Yeah. I don't want to close my eyes. And I was like, like instantly, I was like, what? I don't want to miss a thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And and it you know for me I was like. Oh my gosh. And there was an instant connection with me and the Lord because I just said, I agree that because of what your word says the truth, do you sing a song over me? Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's just a challenge to you guys if you don't, if you feel a little disconnected. Now, the truth is, the Lord loves you, and I'd love to share the whole word with you, but that would be hours and hours. But ask him what song he sings over you. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, because he just wants to be present with us. Yeah. You know, he just wants to be with us. We were uh, at church just probably six months ago, and we I was teaching our Sunday school, and I was, you know, kind of harping this point, and I like to just ask questions. So I was like, why did Jesus die on the cross? You know, and so we go down this, like, thing, and I love asking people that because the typical answer is to pay for our sins, which is 100% true. But I think you have to go, well, why? Right. Why did he pay for our sins? It's like, because he wanted us to be reconciled. Right. Why did he want us to be reconciled? Come on. Because he wanted to be with us. Right, he wanted to be present with us. He wanted to be able to be connected with us and intimate. So, really, all really God asks of us and wants of us is our time. Yeah, is because the, you're so valuable. Yes, yes, and I think trauma and abuse and all the things yes. that we could talk about for hours. You know, our experience, people's experiences are like, I hear you, Clint. I hear you, Katie. But I have not experienced that. Right. Nobody's been gracious to me. Nobody's been loving to me. Nobody's been patient with me. Nobody certainly loved me unconditionally. Right. So what are you even talking about? So what would you say to that? This is literally what I would say. I'd be like, well, these are your feelings and experiences, and I honor them, and that is a true fact. Because that that is a fact, that this has been experience. But my, my my whole heart is... But listen, just like when Moses in the Old Testament was walking in the wilderness and he saw the burning bush, he turned aside. He, the word says he turned to look. Why is this bush not burning up? Like normally they would burn up and that would be consumed and done. So I'm going to turn my heart and look this way. So when you're feeling that way, right, which is a real feeling, it's real experiences, you've absolutely had it. The word says when you turn your mind upon me, peace comes. Mm-hmm. So if I turn my heart, like, like just like the picture like Moses, he turned aside to go see about this. So his mind was off the experiences that he had, the feelings that he had, the stuff that he had experienced. And he turns and he focuses on God all of a sudden. God begins to speak to him and manifest in a way to Moses that he could understand. Mm-hmm. Now, God knows your innermost thoughts and and purposes and the plans he has for you. Do you not think that he's not going to speak to you in a way that you can understand? Mm-hmm. And it's that simple, you have to make the choice to turn aside. So I'm, I, I give you an illustration, but it's really a heart posture. Yep. I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to not worry about all these things that I think I know and that I have experienced and my opinions that I've already formed on it and the trauma. And I'm going to turn this on. I'm just going to say, but what do you say? Mm. But you have to open your heart to say, but what do you say? And a lot of people will just say, well, I've experienced this. And so that's that. But the, yeah, yeah. but the door's closed. Yep. He stands and he knocks. Will you open the door? That's good. 
It's real good. Yeah, I think people, myself included, you know, have a hard time with that some days where for survival we're just like I just need to stay in this room by myself I want connection I want right. I, I want intimacy I want all these things but man if I open that door yeah you know it's gonna be messy yeah well messy's I mean that's all he has to work with is all of us messy people oh yeah and the, the idea that we're not all messy you know I think that's the other side of it is like if you're listening to this and you're like people are hard it's like well you're people too <laughs> yeah. you know we're all hard yeah. we're all we're all kind of a mess yeah, and you know, the church gets a a bad rap because a lot of people are turned away because of people. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't act the way they're supposed to act. And you you have these expectations, oh, well, they're a Christian in business and they should act this way, and then they don't, right? I, I mean, I know. And then that can cause people to walk and turn from God. And, you know, but the truth is that that was a fact that the, that there were Christians and there are Christians with really bad behaviors and that's a fact but the truth is is that God is good and he is loving and he is more for you than you can imagine and you're stronger than you think so if you can remember the truth and know, and separate God from the people you know and then you can connect with the Lord and the Lord will he heals. He heals those deep parts. I look, my mom's a counselor, my my aunt's a doctor of psychology. So I know the the therapy works and it's so amazing and it and it changes behaviors and it's amazing to get your thoughts out. But there's a place in everybody's heart that that longs to um connect with the supernatural God mm-hmm. that longs to there's just a piece that's made for God in every single person. And so that therapy can't get to. Yeah. Nobody can get to. And he's the one that restores the heart and the restoration. Because if you're sitting there and you're listening and you think, I can never get healed. I cannot get to this place. I'm telling you, sometimes all you have to do is just look up. Well, I look up and just say, help. And God comes running. Song of Songs 1, she's a regular, everyday person. She's like a goat-keeping girl, nothing going for her. Everything's broken, and she cries out for a kiss. And the kiss is a picture. I want you to think of God with, with the Shulamite, or you. It's not a, a manly, like a kiss that we're talking about that humans mm-hmm. do. It's like a face-to-face. It's like breath-to-breath. She cries out, will you breathe on me? Mm-hmm. Will you make me alive? And the very next thing is she's like, draw me. And he shows up. Yep. He shows up. He will show up for you. He is your hero. He came to rescue you. That's what the whole cross and the picture is, is he doesn't want to live without you. That's why he gave his life. He came on a rescue mission because he said, I cannot live in heaven without you. I can't. You're so valuable. Every person is valuable. If you think that you're looking in the mirror and you say, I'm not, I'm not, and I can't, it's not true. It is something that you're feeling, but it's not the very truth. And that's where we stepped away is what's true. It's not my truth or this is my truth and this is this. It's no, no, no. God's truth is true. This is the truth. This is our anchor. And everything else must lean into that. That's good, Katie. Yeah, I mean, we. this is the stuff that we have to, you know, deconstruct. And I know that's a, that's a tarnished yeah. word. It's like you can't use any words now. <laughs> but you have to tear down and, and break down, you know, these conversations uh, for people. 
And I do think, I think there's, there's two things that I want to mention that you talked about. One is God is so good that even if you're listening to this and you're alone and you have no community and you have no connection, he will show up. Yeah. Right. He, if you, if you open up to him and you reach out and you beg, he will show up. He will give you wisdom and insight and encouragement and the Holy spirit can come in and redeem and restore. It's the only thing that can do that. And then, but the second part is, is that for those of you listening that, that you, you're, you're a Christ follower where you have the Holy spirit, God said, it's not good for man to be alone before sin entered into the world. Right. Right. So he, he said, there's something about this relationship, this Imago day, this image of God that, that plays out in relationship. And so therapy works not because it's special. I mean, it is unique in its way that we do it in America, but therapy works because people are being authentic and being safe and letting, you know, vulnerability move between two people. And there's something spiritual and magical that happens that isn't in the technique that we use, that isn't in the philosophy that we use, but it's in the humanity of, especially if you're a Christian counselor, where you go, I, I have the Holy Spirit and he wants to say something to you and he wants to show you how Jesus is because I'm going to treat you as imperfectly as I can, but you're going to experience Jesus in this room. And I think, that's so good. I think we have, and hear me out therapist, cause I'm a therapist, but I think we, because of a lack of good discipleship and rich, healthy individuals in our society, we put a lot of pressure on therapists to do things they can't do. And, yes. and when, when not saying that people shouldn't go to therapy, we should get rid of it, but saying, if we can grow as healthy individuals, I mean, so many of my clients leave therapy or continue to be healthy. And then they're like, Oh, I helped another person that had an affair. I helped another person who did this thing. I helped another person. And it's because they have the Holy spirit living in them. And when a person experiences a person who's walking in the spirit, then they do meet Jesus. Yeah. And they're not like trying to figure out who he is. They have a, per, a flesh and blood person in right in front of them that goes, and there's something spiritual that we can't make sense of. And we can't, you know, add to that, that happens. The other day I was reading, uh, Matthew and it was during, it was like right before Easter and it was talking, it was Matthew. I can't remember the verse 14, 23 through 24 or something. Anyway, it's Jesus, you know, it says Jesus was resurrected and the veil was torn. And then it says, and then the, the graves of the other saints, uh-huh. right? Open up and they start walking around and they go into the Holy city and people see them. And I like, I know that happened, but I forget it sometimes because we get so focused on Jesus resurrecting, which is obviously right. amazing because if he didn't do it, it wouldn't matter. But what I've been thinking like the last couple of weeks is that's right because Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. And when he resurrects things in your life, it's not just for you. It's for everybody around Come you. On. And so if you get healed from addiction, if you get healed from depression, if you get healed from anxiety, you better write a book about it. Right. Right. You, you better let that resurrect people in your life because it's so powerful that it shouldn't just be isolated to you. And I think that's with American Christianity and, and radical individualism, that's where we've gotten in trouble. It's like, well, I healed, so now I'm just going to heal and then survive so this stuff doesn't happen or get on me anymore. And it's like, no, he resurrected you and redeemed you so you can go out and do that with other people. That's so beautiful. So anyway. that's I love that story too. I mean, could you just imagine just for a second, just because I'm a storyteller, teller, <laughs> It's wild. Walking. I mean, seeing people that you knew passed away walking. Just yeah. Just out hanging like, out. Hey, how, and how, not how, zombies. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, what Because that's my happened? question. I'm like, with the movies, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what are they like? Rrr. You know, like, no, they're just walking. Like, there's Bob. Yeah. You know, 
What? It's wild. That's wild. how much power of the resurrection is even inside you. So if you're feeling like I can't get up, imagine that very power that raised people from the dead is living inside of you. You can. You have no excuse. You can. You can. Yep. We, uh, it, again, it goes back to faith, right? right? It's do I believe that? Right. And how do I believe that? Well, I you know make space for God in my life. I make space for other Christians in my life. I let other people speak truth into my life. Yes. Right. So I think there's, there's scripture one, you know, God, what he says about me, but then there's trusted others. There's people yes. in your life that you have to have. Um, I I've said this probably a bunch of times on here, but my best friend, CJ, if I call it, this goes back to your, uh, reject or recognizing what are the yes. thoughts. So I know that my thoughts are, I'm not known and I'm not good enough. You know, those would be my right. core things that you would want somebody to read your book and go, I need to recognize what are the things I say to myself? I'm ugly. Right. I'm not pretty. I'm stupid. I'm never going to be enough. Whatever the words are that you have, you need to write those down and you need to say right above them, my lies, you know, where Satan attacks. Yes. And then do you need to have best friends in your life who know those words? And so when you call them and say, I had a bad day today, I'm really feeling crappy. CJ's going to go, do you feel unknown? Right. I'm not going to have to tell him how I feel. He's going to say, are you feel, you know, you know where that comes from. That comes from X, Y, Z or wow. this relationship or this thing. That's a lie. And I reject that. Not only do you need to reject it, but I reject it. And in Jesus's name, I rebuke yes. that lie about you. That's so good. You know, that start with the, the first book that we wrote arise, which is a 30 day woman's devotion devotional on, um, your identity. I, I was driving down the interstate and I hear the Lord say, why do you think Satan gave the apple to Eve and not Adam? Mm. And I had never asked myself that question. So I knew it wasn't for me (laughs) (laughs) and I wasn't thinking about it. And, and all of a sudden he downloaded because I've called women are influencers. They, they are, they have the power from the very beginning. I've given them the power to influence. How are you influencing? Mm -hmm. Right. That was one of the questions. So I call Philippa, my friend, my trusted friend. And I say, Hey, you're a writer. Now you have got to write this. And I'm going to tell you everything that the Lord said. (laughs) And I wrote it down and she stopped me. Now, side note, everything in my life told me I cannot write. Mm-hmm. Every paper that I wrote in high school, growing, you know, elementary school, whatever, growing up, not good. My mom was an English teacher. She would write my papers. I would cry forever. <laughs> please write this, please. I mean, it was like, so So my experience, my facts told me I was not a writer. Yep. Okay. So she says, Katie, the Lord didn't give it to me. He gave it to you. And I said, well, I don't, I mean, I don't even... I, don't I barely write. even, I don't write. And she said, write down what you're telling me right now. And so I did that. Now, I did not picture that this was going to be a devotional book. But as we began to write, as we moved, the, there was a miracle in the movement. As I decided, okay, I'm going to yield to what the Lord's saying mm-hmm. and do something that's not my feelings mm-hmm. or not my experience and say yes to him, then this book was birthed. And it goes back to the man with the paralyzed arm. Jesus is walking by with his disciples. There's a man with, um, it says, a shriveled arm. Mm -hmm. And the Lord says, hold out your arm. Well, he doesn't have an arm. In in the word, it's shriveled. So I could imagine him like kind of giving a shoulder, right? right? Like a shoulder turn. But he had to do a motion. 
So he motioned to turn. And within the motion, it says the miracle occurred. So there was a miracle in the movement. And that was what exactly occurred with this book. She said, do something. And as I did, then the miracle started happening. But I had to have the friend commission me. And that's what you just said about how important it was with your friends, knowing those lies that are certain in you. I mean, my lie was, I can write, Mm -hmm. you know? And the Lord was calling me to write. Right. But I was like, I cannot write. You write. And she said, no, you are supposed to write, right? So this is just another illustration of how important it is who you surround yourself with. No, that's so good. You're right. There is there is a miracle in the movement. And so much of, you know, like recent psychology and attachment theory and a lot of the stuff that I've been working on the last couple of years, I, I got do some equine therapy, you know, it's, it's about moving, you know, and, and the baby in the womb, for example, the reason a baby develops in the womb is that they move. So your brain, like there's videos out now where they can film like the baby over time and it's time lapse. And so the baby, it leans forward and it does kind of, you know, this kind of fetal position and then it stretches out and does this thing. And it's the movement that the baby makes that, that grows the brain. Wow. And so God, like, it's so crazy to me, but God, like, designed us for movement and rhythm and repetition all the way from the womb. So, right, you move around as a mother, and they feel that feeling, and that's what forms the attachment. Well, then we get outside of the body in an American culture, and it's like, stop feeling your body, stop caring about those things, and just do, you know? Yeah. And just move, you know? And, and, And not movement in a good way, not in a healthy way, but like, you need to work, you need to earn, you need to right. do. And it's, oh. so I think it's a balance um, of that perspective of yes, move for the miracle, but listen for God in it, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we could have our own selfish desires and we move towards that. Yeah. There are good things that aren't God things. <laughs> right. I know you know that. Yes, I do. Gosh. I mean, how many times have, I mean, I think every gift is a double-edged sword, you know, mm-hmm. being a speaker, being a writer, mm-hmm. you know, having all these things that God puts in your place. And it's like, if you did everything that was good, right. Right. Or that everybody needed and asked of you. Yes. That <laughs> would not be good. I've had to learn that the hard way. Uh, me too. <laughs> it's hard to say no, you know, especially in these little niche areas where, um, there is a huge need ministry and whatever you are out there. Yes. If you're a minister, a music minister, a pastor, you know, Whatever it is, like Therapy. there's, yeah, there's always more need than there are workers, and scripture's clear about that, right? Mm-hmm. The harvest is plenty, and the, the workers, workers are, are few, few. You know, cry out. And so I think we have to realize that, like, where we get stuck is thinking we're the ones working. Yeah. You know, but we cry out because we know it's impossible for us to do all the things. And and Psalms say that you know He forgets our iniquities and He for, forgives us of our sins because He remembers that we're dust. And so I try to remind myself like that little narrative, that little, yeah. I love that, that reminding and then rejecting. What was the last one? Uh, resist. It's recognize, resist, replace. Okay, replace. Yes. My replacement is God's expectations for you, Clint, are not that high. <laughs> you know, like he remembers that you're dust. Right. Like you're not even, you're not even dirt. Right. You know, like you're dust, like to like. And that's not a shaming thing. That's not a you're dust and you're you're little. He makes diamonds out of that dust, right? But the reality is, is that his expectations aren't for you to wake up in the morning and and do these amazing things for him. Right, like the dust. He recognizes you're weak. Yes. And so that he recognizes that. So he says, "Lean on me, mm-hmm. and Lean. I'm going to do it." Yes. 
Yeah, you. It's not on you. Yeah, it's not on you. Just say yes. Absolutely. You have a choice to say yes or no and lean in or not. And I'm like, you know, I, I actually want to do the big fun stuff. So I'm going to lean in and just say yes when I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's when the miracles in the movement begin. Uh-huh. It's good. It's good yeah. stuff. Um, okay, let's talk just a few more seconds because I know we're on a time crunch. Tell me about this new documentary that's out. Um, yes. So, so from eight days Mm -hmm. then there were the books that were created and more so people wanted to to know what else like what was the one of the now there's so many different factors in trafficking you know but what is one of the things and so sex nation that's a documentary and it was produced by Philippa and Yaku Boyens who did eight days yeah yeah. I keep calling him Jocko but yeah yeah everybody Jaco Jocko um they did a red carpet, I mean, a red sofa interviews where they interviewed people in different, they in therapists, families, victims, um, police, what they see, what everyone sees in trafficking, because it's different, it's different in different places. And, and so they do a, um, a really great job on educating us on what trafficking is, what it looks like, where, how it began, what, what's happened in your mind almost a lot like the the trauma that you're talking about Mm -hmm. not as in debt that would be amazing man to mix these now that you're telling me about this um but (laughs) so that's always my goal oh my goodness and so they they take a big uh piece of hey part of the problem is porn and you are feeding it and if you're watching it you're not going to fight trafficking Mm -hmm. and i was like "Uh oh because you could even feel in the audience watching you know, uh oh, like I'm, I might be part of the problem yeah. that's feeding this. So anyway, they do, it's a great documentary. It's worth. It's called Sex Nation, um, and it's streaming live. You can watch it sexnationfilm.com, um, and it's a great documentary on. Spell trafficking. it correctly. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Awesome. I remember we did. Uh, I laugh because I remember we did. Uh, I think it was like porn in the USA or something is what we called it. But it was uh, a, a thing we did at Brookwood Baptist here in town. And we had like two hundred people, and so I had never had Twitter. I don't have Twitter, but I remember like uh, Cassie had posted like Sex Nation, you know, or not Sex Nation, uh, porn in the USA hashtag or whatever. And my dumb self clicks on the hashtag. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I know, and that's the goal is is a catchy title that's going to catch people that actually are probably looking for that, and they're going to get a great, you know, I think that was her goal, too, and I was like, I got a great teaching, all right, it was the wrong direction. What what sexnationfilm.com, that's the whole address, does is it really commissions every watcher to do something. And that was, um, and you have the heartfelt, you have the victims that are teaching and, and God moves in and there's restoration and redemption. So it's, it's really, um, important. It is. It's so huge. Yeah. I hope, you know, I need to reach out to them and and make some connections too, because I think again, not to keep tooting the horn about my book, but like, I think underneath the porn conversation is that neglect piece is that like just whole, um, absence of healthy conversations, absence of, um, discussion. You know, so many of the people that I work with that struggle with pornography are the Johns who come in. Like we've, you know, we've seen hundreds of those guys and they all have a story of, well, I remember the first time 
I heard somebody talk about porn or my mom talk about porn or my mom talk about masturbation or sex. It was like, well, those people are disgusting. Right, right. And so you're sitting there as a 10-year-old thinking, well, I'm not going to tell them that I'm thinking about this or I saw this because they're saying I'm disgusting. Right. And it's like, man, so once we go down that rabbit trail with people and and I work a lot with betrayal trauma and spouses who have found out their husband or wife have cheated and that they have an addiction or they have some kind of compulsivity – and it's the same thing. It's like by the time we get two or three years in, you watch the spouse like hear the spou- other sp- the, the the addict or the betrayer's story, and then it starts to go, "Oh man, this makes sense. You were de- you know almost destined to right. do these things because it's not that they're thirty two years old and they're like, you know, I think I'll cheat on my wife, right. or I, you know, I'm forty five and I'm like, oh, I'll just start watching porn today. It's been a thing for their whole life, right? And and especially with the onset of the phone and the access to these things and the marketing and manipulation. Well, and the a distraction really, I mean, what I notice is it's, it's you've believed lies and then you live out from this belief system. Mm-hmm. And then there you go. Then you're on the highway of destruction. Yeah. And so people say, what do you do? It's like, well, if you're a parent, the prevention piece is that you teach your kids the truth from jump street. Right your worth and value is not in these things. Your worth and value is not in even how you behave or how you act. Right. I mean, my son this morning was melting down about my youngest is sick and at home. And so he was like, well, I want to watch TV because and we don't do screen time during the week. So they melting down and I, he loses it. I, I raise my voice, which I normally don't do, but I'm like, dude, you got to get back in your bed. It's five fifty in the morning. But he knew that the younger was up. He thought he was going to miss out. So I go and sit with him and I put my arms around him and I'm just like, buddy, you know, I love you. Like, it's okay that you're frustrated. It's okay that you want this thing. That's all of us. Wow. We all lose our tempers and we all lose our minds over things we want. And I'm like, but that's idolatry. Like you're treating the screen like it's something that is worth more than mine and your relationship. And you were willing to compromise our relationship and yell at me. And I was willing to get frustrated with you. You overthinking the screen is more important and me overthinking that me teaching you is more important than me being with you. Wow. And so we just had this, you know, he's crying. I'm sitting there crying a little bit. You know, it's just like we're all sinners in this thing together. Yeah. And I think when we come at it from that perspective, when it comes to porn and addiction, then we start cutting the head of the snake off really early. Right. And I think, unfortunately, we're not having this conversation enough. So people are starting Oh, well, I need to talk to my 13-year-old about porn. And that's the first time they've ever even talked to any them about anything. Yeah. And, of course, that's awkward. Of yeah. course, your teenager going to be like, I'm not talking to you about this. Like, you're not a person that we talk about these things with. Right. And so I think we have to to get deeper underneath that. But anyway, that's a whole nother. That's so good. Yeah. It's And it all it all backs up to the identity of, of who you are. Yes. Who you are. I just a quick story as Please. you were saying that. My son's in college and plays baseball. And even if he were high school, this is all just I'm just going to have to do sports related. Right. But you know, you go you go up and down. It's good and then it's bad. And it can be really really bad. I mean, if you're doing good, you're failing 70% of the time in baseball. Right. Okay? So it's like a it's a negative feeding sport, honestly, yeah. and you can be doing well. Anyway, Bad, bad air, bad time for him, right? And he's like, this is, I just want to quit. And this is, you know, the whole scenario. And I'm like, look, let me just talk to you real quick. A, we don't make decisions out of a bad season. That's just a no-no, just period. But number two, I need you to understand this isn't who you are. Mm-hmm. Baseball's not who you are. 
who you are is this. And when we could separate his, the bad season to who he was, like separate it, like just because you play baseball, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Then we start talking about your identity and he had an entire attitude shift. And then he didn't want to quit because he was like, oh, I'm not I'm not saying that he was thinking he was bad, but there was yeah, yeah. there I was mean, some connection there, there yeah. on this is my identity because this is what I do. Yeah. You know, and my dad did this and the whole, we got you got a whole pressure force there. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. And that I mean, that goes that's great parenting, right? Is like even in that, like showing your kid that, you know, you, you don't need to be me. Yeah. You know, you don't need to be like your dad. And even if you don't achieve what he achieved or you don't right. reach that thing, it, it's not a disappointment to him. And you see this with doctors. I mean, I hear people all the time. Well, why'd you become a doctor? Well, my dad was one. Right. Why'd you become this thing? Well, my dad was one. I didn't really want to be it, but I did. And now right. it's okay. You know, or I'm miserable and I hate my life. You know, I mean, those yeah. are the two, you know, now there are some really healthy families that they parent and disciple well, and they become that because of that. But the majority of the time is yeah, a total desire for, I unconsciously or consciously think I need to be like you or I don't have an identity. Right. And we see that. I mean, you know this, but we see this in the culture right now. Anytime that anything is based on like my identity is this and you must celebrate this or you're damaging my identity. Right. It's super problematic. And I don't care if that's a therapist or whatever, you know, that when you are banking everything on an external or a partial part of you being your entire thing, it's a very mentally and emotionally bad, bad time for everybody. And so I think that's the piece that it's such a silly thing to argue, but it's like, yeah, no, your identity is not in anything external or any one little part of you. Right. And I love working with people who are non-Christians. I see a lot of secular people and just not Buddhists and whatever, but we get to the same roots a lot of times where I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that, you know, all these things you've chased and tried to do, they don't make you feel good enough. And that you realize now that, you know, how good of a father you are, how good of a doctor you are, how good of a lawyer you are, how good of, you know, how fit you are, whatever it is, you reach those things and it wasn't enough. Right. So what are you going to, you know, find your identity in internally that's enough? Oh, that's so good. You know, it's I just, love therapist questions. Oh, man. So we just have to wrestle with that. And, right. and amazing enough in a lot of those scenarios God shows up and I don't have to drive it down their throat. I don't even have to say Jesus's name. Right. He just shows up. It's amazing. It's good stuff. Thank That's you so, so much good. for coming on here. What an honor. Thank you. No, no doubt. We're going to do more stuff and, and I'm glad to reconnect and um, I'm glad that we've kept in touch over the years and yes. proud of all that you're doing and you know, uh, your friends are doing and I mean, just, yeah. For people listening, you know, follow Katie's stuff. Uh, what what are your kind of ats and handles and uh, all that stuff? It's katieandphilippa.com. Okay. Katie and Philippa. It's like Philip with an A. Yep. So katieandphilippa.com is is really where all your stuff we is. We post everything. Yeah, awesome. Well, y'all check them out. If you're a lady listening to this, that's a great resource. Um, I've listened to several of them uh, over the last couple of years and just enjoyed, you know, y'all's conversations and about all kinds of things. Not just, yeah. you know. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, guys, thank you all for listening. Uh, I hope you have a great week and God bless you.